Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for coming to this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. We are on episode 53. I, wow, 53. That's, we're all, we're that much closer to our 100th episode, and... That's both exciting and terrifying because I haven't even come up with the following episode after this. So, wow. But that's cool. I'm excited that we are doing this together, that we're even at 53. Thank you so much for all your support. And I have a brand new episode for you. So let's get to it. Whenever I'm in search of a new topic or a new point of discussion for either the podcast or one of my blogs or or a presentation that I want to do, I always cycle back to my disability and sexuality library. I have amassed a few books around sexuality, disability, and identity politics over the years because I really wanted to be well-read on the topic of sexuality and disability before I started embarking on this work. Now, if I'm super honest with you, I have these books, and I haven't read all of them, and I haven't read through all of them, because some of them are super academic, and, and even me with an academic background, I'm like, well, that's not, I don't want to sit and read academic prose for three hours. So I haven't read through all of them, but I always often cycle back through these books to find ideas, kernels of ideas, things that I disagree with, in these books that I maybe want to talk about and things that I can bring up as as valid points of discussion around sexuality and disability so that we can have a, a, a more nuanced conversation around this stuff around, you know, whatever it is in the, in, the, in the books that I either agree with or disagree with. So that's kind of what I was doing last night prior to recording. And I wanted to talk about a book that we in the disabled community have lauded as this great primer around sexuality and disability. And it is, it's a great primer. I really, I appreciate the book for what it is. And so let me, let me share with you the book that I'm talking about. I was perusing through my copy of The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability in search of topic ideas for future episodes and for my writing, and I just wanted to go through and see what I thought about it. It's a book that I remember hearing about when it was first released. Now, 14 years ago, it was kind of a game changer in the discussion of sex and disability, and I remember reading it at, well, 14 years ago when I was, let me think, let me when I was like 19, yeah, 19, wow, scary. When I was 19, um... I read it, and I kind of was like, this is great, this is amazing, this is great information, this is a great book, 
But as I got older, I had some critiques of the the way that it was laid out in the literature. And as I started putting my own voice into these discussions around sex and disability, I had some concerns about the book. Now, I know friends of mine have contributed to the book and have written in the book. And one of my one of my colleagues is is very is one of the co-authors of the book actually. So I don't want to say that the book is problematic because it's not. It's a great start. I think the Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability is a great, great start. I actually was flipping through the section on flirting yesterday, and that's where the idea for this episode came through because people I've asked on my social media a number of times what people want me to talk about. And that's what I'm starting to do with my social media and my Twitter. Um, I ask, you know, which episodes do you want to hear about so I can start really amassing a great collection of episodes that really speak to you guys, the listening audience. And I said, guys, and that's weird. You, great audience. I didn't mean to to gender that. That wasn't... I did not mean to do that. So you, the audience, I'm self-correcting live because why not so you the audience can can really have discussions around sex and disability that that you want to have so i ask often on my social media my twitter if what kind of stuff you want me to talk about and a lot of times flirting dating and disability comes up so i've done an episode way back episode 10 of disability after dark about flirting about dating and I wanted to kind of talk about flirting more. When I saw this stuff in the Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability about flirting, I was immediately like, "There's a lot of stuff I could talk about here. I have a lot of feelings about this. Let's make the, let's make a show out of this." So I just started writing down my thoughts, and I'm basically going to be expanding on the thoughts that I wrote down in this episode about about flirting and disability. Okay, so using. The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability is my anchor for this discussion. I wanted to talk about their what how they how they opened the discussion of flirting and why I was like what I, I immediately was like okay, I see your point there, but I don't know if I agree and they were like basically they said flirting is a sexual or sensual overture to, with another person or a romantic overture with another person and that's true. But then they said something that I was like, oh they were like, they, the authors say that in no time you'll be having a ball doing it and that flirting shouldn't be torture. Okay, let's pause right there. Not torture? Isn't flirting for everyone all the time, every single time you do it, torture? Or wait, is it just me as a disabled guy? As a disabled person attempting to flirt, I have found it to be the complete and full definition of what torture is. Actually, though, I, I, I love the idea of flirting. I hate the actuality of flirting. Um, and in my head, I kind of have this... When I talk about sex and disability from like a professional or fantastical standpoint to make a point, I picture myself as this suave, debonair kind of person flirting. And that is not... I am not that person. Um, I, I, I The guy that's in my head rolls in his wheelchair in slow motion... As if he's like, you know, a James Bond character and makes everybody swoon. But that's not really who I... That's just that caricature is not me at all. Um, but it's one that I've created to make the process of flirting as a disabled person 
feel a little bit better and to feel to kind of like cultivate that confidence in myself but that's not me in the least um i am basically the disabled version of hugh grant from any movie in the 90s a bumbling dandy who has the potential for awesomeness but who just isn't quite there yet that's kind of i would say that bumbling disabled dandy is kind of my jam and it's sort of how i definitely will be framing myself from now on along with disabled heartthrob and along with disabled dork with a big dick disabled dandy is sort of yeah i can see myself being that for sure um one of the things in the book that i noticed immediately with regards to flirting was the one of the very first tips was be you be yourself and i immediately cringed because when i looked up flirting tips and disability i saw this pretty much everywhere also on the internet and i was like okay Let's let's back up for just a second here and talk about this for a second. Um, the authors in the book and other authors throughout the internet say things like they say things like don't try to be somebody else, just try to be yourself. I guess my biggest issue with that suggestion is what if you don't know who the fuck you are? I mean, more specifically, what if because of access issues, disability, family, privacy, lack of privacy, etc., you haven't been given the opportunity to explore who the hell you are in this arena. And I mean, there are different versions of me that I present in different parts of my life, and if you've not been given access to places where you can flirt or access away from your family or access away from your attendant care worker, how do you know who you are in these hypersexualized arenas where flirting is expected and what if you don't know how to do that what if you don't know how to be playful what if your whole life as a disabled person is based around someone else's routine and what if you don't know how to break away from that and what if in these hypersexualized spaces you need your attendant with you how the fuck do you can you flirt if somebody needs to be like three feet from you at all times because Maybe you have a trach. Maybe you have a spasm disorder. Maybe you have seizures. I'm not sure of what what disabilities could be happening, but there could be things that you need, and these spaces maybe don't allow for that, and maybe don't allow for you to be your full self or to even have a chance to learn about the flirty self that you may want to be or you may want to work up to, but you've never been given the chance to because of these issues with access so the whole idea of being yourself right off the bat right there when I read that I was like no 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 we have to talk about what is yourself what like we have professional disabled person we have attending care worker disabled person we have sexy disabled person but maybe we don't have flirty disabled person because we don't know how to get there or we've not been there or we don't know how to access that part of ourselves so being yourself in these arenas is is not, in my opinion, as a disabled person, the best advice. I should clarify. I think the idea of being yourself is is sound, except that I think in certain contexts, like I outlined around disability, being yourself doesn't work. And we need to talk about these contexts more. And I would have liked for the authors in the part about flirting to have talked about the context where being yourself 
can be really hard when you're disabled and have no, haven't been given access to, to the ideas around flirting or the ideas around sexual overtures. And so that can be really daunting as a disabled person. That's all I'm saying about that. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners, so we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Hi, my name is Ali Wong, and I'm a director, performer, and producer working in opera and theater. I listen to Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hello, hello. Thanks so much. I want to thank Come As You Are, our amazing sponsor for sponsoring this show around sex and disability. And I also want to thank everybody who has recorded a little voice clip saying they like the show, saying they listen to the show. I'd love to get more of those. So if you want to record one for me, let me know. Send me an email at andrew at andrewgerza.com with the the subject line, Disability After Dark promo, and I would love to have your voice on the show. Thanks. So let's get back to flirting and disability right now. So yeah, like what if you don't, don't know who you are and what if you don't have access to explore who you might be in these arenas? I think we need, that needs to be, like I said, before the break that needs to be discussed for sure more thoroughly than just being like be yourself because that's so simplistic and that doesn't take into account so many things around disability and also I feel like and I've made this in my notes and this is what I, what I wrote down I also kind of feel like the idea of flirting in general whether you're disabled or not is informed by what we see fed back to us through pop culture this is true everything we've learned especially this generation my generation has learned about flirting and the generation before me as well learned about like sexual attraction romance and flirting has been heavily informed by what we see on television and what we see out there in the world and we hear in pop culture and music and media and all that media heavily informs all this stuff so much as we've talked about in previous episodes and we'll continue to explore that in other episodes as well um and let's think about this for like just a minute. When was the last time we had, as disabled people, we had positive archetypes on TV who flirted successfully as a disabled person? Now, this is changing with certain episodes coming, with certain shows coming about. Like, I'm thinking immediately of, like, Speechless. But even that wasn't successful. And much of what we see in pop culture around whenever... Disabled people try to to go on dates in dramatized fashions or documentary fashions. Even different different screens will show us the same thing. Different mediums, 
different screens. Different mediums will show us the same thing of disabled people trying really hard to go on dates and being thoroughly, consistently, systematically rejected by the able-bodied person. And so that becomes the archetype that we as disabled people see when we want to enter these arenas. We, this, is, this is the thing that we have to draw from. So let's say you sort of figure out who you are and you're like, I, I kind of don't know who I am, but here I am doing a thing. And you go into these hypersexualized flirting arenas like a bar or a club or a, uh, even a classroom even or, you know, just a community group, wherever it is you want to get your flirt on. Yeah, that was cheesy when I said it. I know. I just said flirt on. Sorry. It's not a 90s PSA about, like, relationships. I apologize. If you're in a place where you want to engage in flirting, we as disabled people have no anchor to be like, oh, yeah, this happened on this show. This might happen for me. We don't have – that isn't – I'm not saying we should use TV as, like, the only mirror, but if you go in – kind of not knowing who you are as a disabled person and having never had access to these spaces and then also going and being like, oh, well, this character on this show didn't get the person, didn't go home with the person or didn't get a number or had them say weird things. All of that stuff plays in your head when you enter these arenas. One of the things that I noticed also with the authors in the book that I really kind of had a problem with that I wanted to bring up, the next thing I noticed was they said, be bold. Make the first move. The advice here falls a little flat for me, personally, only because I tend to have always been and always will be the bold one. And I have done this so many times as a disabled person. And I've done this particularly in queer spaces where I felt like I had to be because... Because I had to, and I, this is the thing, I didn't want to be bold. I didn't want to be aggressive, be aggressive. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just, I wanted to be kind of courted a bit by the by attractive men and have them kind of come after me and, and make me feel all fluttery inside. I know, I know, my life is a Nora Ephron movie in my head. I'm fully aware of that, but I wanted to, this whole idea of, of boldness and making the first move as a disabled person was troubling for me when I read that. And I don't know if that's necessarily advice that people with disabilities should be being given only because it feels like we're given that advice a lot, a lot. And so in disability flirting situations for me, I have been the one to make the first move and to go out there and be gregarious and be lovable and be affable and be and initiate all of the things to make this thing go with this person, whatever it is. And that there's so much pressure to do that as the disabled person because you don't want them to not approach you at all. So you have to make the first move. And that's a whole fuck ton of pressure that I hate doing it. I hate it so much. How many of us, let me ask this question, how many of us have tried this advice, taken the plunge, and initiated the things only to be looked at like you were an alien with two heads when you actually did it? I can't count the number of times that I have been 
trying to flirt with somebody rather unsuccessfully, but I'm trying. I'm doing the gregarious, like, being bold, making the first move. I'm doing what this advice suggests that I do, and I'm being looked at like, what are you doing? There was no vibe here. Why are you over here? What is happening? Oh, wow. And so the person looks at you like you shouldn't have tried, or they awkward, they awkwardly sidle away. Now, now maybe they, it's just because they have some awkwardness too. As I get older, I'm starting to realize that people might have awkwardness around just flirting generally. So maybe that's what it is. But the ableism in my brain tells me that it's because you're disabled. What are you doing? They must have walked away for, from you because of that. Or if you're bold, really bold, sometimes they will tell you, whoa, whoa, you're coming on so strong. Maybe like back off a little bit. And I appreciate those cues. But it's like, I did what the book said. I was bold. Why am I being super rejected? And why do I still feel like there's a ton of ableism around that? And like I was mentioning just a minute ago, what about the chance to be a wallflower? What about the chance to be courted? What about the chance to, for me to play coy and sheepish and shy and cute? Why do I have to come on as this aggressive, like, person that is, I'm going to flirt with you now? Why do I have to do that? Why is that something that I have to engage in? And why does that have to be, why does that have to be my responsibility in these arenas to be the one to make the first move because no one else will, because, possibly because, I'm disabled. That sucks. I want to be courted by somebody who's like, hey, I think you're really cute. Let's let let me do the work here. I don't want to do all the legwork. Pun definitely intended there. Definitely. I find also that in a lot of literature around sexuality and disability, particularly in this book, The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability, when we look at flirting, it seems to be written like we are only talking about if the disabled person were to be dating a non-disabled person. And there's not a lot of literature about what happens when two disabled people decide to go on dates and want to flirt, unless it's unless it's a news story written by some ableist fucker who's like, oh, wow, those two disabled people got married. Let's make a whole story out of it. Okay, we need more information about how to flirt with other disabled people. We need information about how to flirt with different types of disabilities that we may not have access to so that all of us can get our flirt on with each other in a safe, happy, accessible space. The few times that I have flirted with another disabled person, I gotta say, I am put at much more ease when I flirt with disabled people than I ever am when I'm flirting with a non-disabled person. It's like we have this unspoken language of the unicorns to talk to like understand our differences in this weird unspoken way even if we don't outwardly understand each other's differences there's a, there's an there's a a silent understanding so that when you flirt with another disabled person whether it be friendly whether it be romantic or sexual there's like this basic understanding of each other that just puts everything at ease at least that's been my experience when I flirt with other with other disabled people, um, that's how I feel. When I flirt with a non-disabled or able-bodied person, even if I have taken all of the above suggestions, I've been bold, I made the first move, I was approachable, I did all the things that I was supposed to do, I constantly, almost always, pretty much every single time, 
for sure definitely feel like I'm on the attack. I feel like I'm standing at the ready, ready to combat, deflect, and prepare for the ableism that I might have to encounter when the able-bodied person is going to say or do something that is 100% definitely ableist. You don't know what they're going to say or do, but you kind of know it's going to happen, and you're going to have to prepare yourself on how you're going to deal with this when they say it. And it's, it is one of the most stressful parts of flirting as a disabled person, I got to tell you, because you know it's coming. You just don't know when or how or to what level of intensity this ableist thing is going to come out during your flirting session, and it's going to turn your flirting session from flirting to like, oh no, what do I do with this now? I wish that I could just say as part of the being me section of this thing called flirting as a disabled person, I wish I could just say, look, I know that at some point you're going to say something super ableist, even if you didn't or don't mean to, you're going to do it. So if we could just get that out of the way right now, that'd be great. Like, I wish that's something that I could actually just say to my non-disabled potential flirting partners and just lay that out and say, you're going you're gonna to say this thing, I'm ready, and let's just get that right out of the way. This chapter of the book also makes a weird suggestion that I kind of was had issue with and it made me kind of uncomfortable, but I wanted to share because it was sort of funny. They suggest that you should be noticeable, and in order to be noticeable, they actually use the words you jazzing up your chair. That you should jazz up your mobility device or your or wear a jazzy shirt or put stickers all over your wheelchair. These are actual suggestions that they made in the book, and I was like, what the fuck is this? I'm not doing that. I'm not making I'm not making my, my chair extra colorful for you. So you can come and flirt with me, or I have to then come flirt with you. I'm not. I'm not doing that. My chair is my chair. Like when you go, when you go and flirt with somebody, you might wear nice pants, but do you like? Do you do you color? Do you color one leg so that it's different than the rest of your legs, or do you like? No. So why is it expected that a that a wheelchair user or somebody with a mobility device? would actually want to do that. I don't want to do that, and I will never do that for you. If we're ever flirting, I promise you, I am not putting a flag on my chair or something super colorful so that I can be more noticeable for you. No way I'm not doing that. The chapter in the book makes ample mention that you, as a disabled person, need to be extremely clear about what you want. So it says, like, if you want to go on a date, say that. If you want to have sex, say that. If you want to just be flirty, say that. It, it, it lists these in the book. And I am like, I'm reading this and I'm again going back to what I said earlier. Of like, can we just be clear that I might not know what I want? It isn't necessarily the sexiest to say that you might not know what to do or what you might want to do. I find this a lot when I'm flirting with slash people that I want to fuck about stuff that I want to do. You, you don't want to seem inexperienced, so you want to pretend like you, sometimes as a disabled person, you, or at least in my experience, and correct me if I'm wrong, and if this hasn't happened to you, that's okay, but sometimes in my experience, I have been like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what I want to do. I'm totally down for this one, and I'm halfway through thinking that I want to do one thing and being like, actually, I want to do something completely different. Um, I think we need 
to be clear as disabled people sometimes that we don't know what we want and we why should we have to regiment exactly what we want why can't we just say i don't know what i want but i'm willing to like i want to just kind of flirt and see where that goes like can that not be a thing um and it, it's so hard because you don't want to seem inexperienced by saying during this flirting session that you don't know what you want um and also because you know sometimes i worry that if you say you don't know what you want or you're not clear about exactly what you want that if you're speaking with an able-bodied lover, they'll be like, oh, of course you don't know what you want because you're disabled, and so therefore you, um, of course you wouldn't know. So there, there is, there's a fear about ableism around, around being honest about not being clear about what you want and being able to say, like, I don't know what I want. I don't think that, I think there should be a portion of the book that says it's okay to not know what you want. People have also suggested when I posed this on Facebook and Twitter, they suggested that I that it's really good to use humor to when you flirt with somebody with the when you are disabled and you're flirting with somebody. Um, and I agree. I think humor is a great tool, but I think sometimes, and I'm sure I've said this before, cripple humor is a valuable tool, but. Sometimes as a disabled person trying to flirt, it's like, how many fucking joystick jokes can I really make with you before we can just get to the making out? How many, like, come sit on my lap wheelchair jokes do I have to make before we can just get down to what I want to get down to or before I can get to know you or before you'll give me your number? Why do I have to do this all the time? This is what I'm learning about flirting. My job isn't to make you comfortable because you're able-bodied and don't know. So I don't have to... If, you're, if I'm flirting with an able-bodied person... I shouldn't have to make disability wheelchair jokes. And I was thinking about this during my note writing last night, and I wrote this down, and I think it's kind of crucial. Maybe I'm making that disability joke because I am uncomfortable with my own body and my own disability experiences today, and I'm trying to work through that and temper that and figure it out as I go. And maybe all I really want to say is, like, I want you to touch me. Please touch me. But I'm making the disability joke so you'll have an in to do that I think when we look at disability humor and flirting, we also need to contend with the fact that maybe we're uncomfortable. And I'll be quite honest in saying sometimes I am uncomfortable with my disabled body, and that's why I use disability humor sometimes in flirting situations, even when I don't want to. Um, also, if you're able-bodied and I'm flirting with you, I wouldn't recommend making jokes about my, dis my, my disability, my mobility device, my gait, etc., until I give you permission. You don't get to use my disability as you're in until or unless I tell you. This happens to me a lot in weird flirty situations where like people will be like, hey, how fast does your chair go? Do you have a license for that? Like, ha ha ha. And they're trying to make a joke and you're just like, what is happening? And why are you doing it? And I didn't tell you that you could. Now, if I want to be your friend and if I want to fuck you, Generally, I'll give you an in to do that because I think I think it does it does bring out a bonding thing when you can call me a cripple and we can laugh about that together if I give you permission. But if I haven't given you permission and we're just flirting, don't make a joke about how fast my chair goes. Don't make a joke about if you can sit on my lap. Don't make a joke about do I have a license for that. Don't make those jokes. You're not allowed and I'm putting anybody on notice who does that. 
a lot of the stuff I saw around disability and flirting said stuff like, just, you know, bat your eyes and use your, use your sensory cues and social cues, eye contact, etc. And I thought about people with autism and people with different sensory disabilities being like, what if they don't know those cues? What is there for them? And I felt like the book really needed to explore that a little bit further and talking about um, different levels of disability and how eye contact might mean a different thing depending on your level of disability. And eye contact might not be a flirty thing depending on your disability. And so to say just bat your eyes is like really, that's not, that doesn't work. We need a discussion on how to pick up social cues when you have a sensory, emotional, or processing disability. And if anybody out there listening has these disabilities and wants to talk about that with me, we talked to Alex Haygard a couple weeks ago. That was a great discussion. I'd love to have more like that. If you are a person with an emotional, sensory, or processing disability and you want to talk about your flirting techniques, please come on the show. Please, please. I'd love to have this conversation with you. On a weird side note, I was scrolling around the internet when I was looking for um, disability flirting options to talk about, and I found a weird e-card, you know those e-cards that are out there that says, you are special and not in the disabled way. And I just thought, could this be any more ableist? Ew. So I'll post... I'll post an image description in the show notes if you really want to like read about it or see it if you if you have the ability to see the thing and if you can I'll put I'll put what it's what it says in the show notes but that's yeah ew um also it would be super helpful if authors on the subject of sex disability and flirting in my humble opinion would stop telling us to flirt just like everybody else I'm pretty sure I mentioned my disdain for the term just like everybody else before, but I'm going to repeat it again in terms of flirting. As disabled people, our ways of, of accessing the world and accessing flirtation and accessing that part of ourselves is different. Don't tell me to do it like everybody else because that is not, nor has it ever been, nor will it ever be helpful advice ever. So please people on the internet writing about this stuff and people who write books about sex and disability, using the term just like everyone else is a fallacy and needs to stop right now. I don't really have any other advice for flirting with a disability. I think that we need a much more comprehensive discussion around flirting and disability than be yourself and make the first move and be bold. I think we need to have discussions that remove the onus from the disabled person to make these moves and teach disabled teach non-disabled people and other disabled people with varying levels of disability how to flirt respectively with other disabled people or for non-disabled people how to flirt properly with disabled people without being ableist dork bags um that's pretty much my thoughts on flirting with a disability for this episode thanks so much for listening and we'll be back soon This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way.
Help us create more episodes and support Cripple content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash and pledging if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just a brief production note. Disability After Dark is now going every two weeks, every other Monday at 5 a.m. So you won't hear us next Monday, but you'll be able to download a new episode every two weeks, Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.